Hi, and welcome to my podcast, The Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm glad you found me. I'm Renee Beery, and I love empowering women to take on home projects, both large and small. I have been the only girl on the job site for the past 27 years, and I have seen it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. With my help, I hope you will be able to avoid the mistakes I've seen in the past and go into your project confident and knowledgeable about the industry so that your project is as smooth and successful as possible. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Well, it finally feels like fall where I am, and I can't tell you how happy that makes me. Fall and spring are my favorite seasons, and I feel like they get shorter each year. And so I feel I need to savor the weeks that I do get even more. So I hope you're experiencing some form of fall where you are. And honestly, I can't imagine living without seasons. And I, while I'm envious on some level, boy, I think I would really miss fall and spring too much to leave the mid-Atlantic area where we really get truly a beautiful fall. Now, I know New England gets a prettier one, but they also have a harsher winter. So I'm not sure that makes it worth uh, moving a little further north. But it feels like fall. And traditionally, this time of year is when people start gearing up for home renovation projects. And I honestly don't know why that is. Maybe because everyone's schedules are chaotic in the summer, or maybe it's because those with kids, they're more underfoot, they're not in school, there's no routine. Maybe it's a combination of all of that. But I do feel that fall tends to be the time of the year where the phone sort of rings off the hook and people are anxious to get things buttoned up. And luckily, you know, most of the time the people are realistic, knowing that that doesn't mean that they're going to get it buttoned up for any of the holidays because there just isn't enough time. And more importantly, I hope they're calling to just start the process. And anyone who listens to me for any amount of time knows how important it is to make a long runway between the time you want to start a project and the time you do start a project. And that runway is to get you prepped and ready to manage your own project successfully and more importantly, smoothly. So it's fall. My phone is ringing off the hook. I know my contractor's phones are ringing off the hook. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. I can't stress enough the importance of hiring the right contractor for your project. And and I see a lot of this in my own town. I, I live in a fairly small town. And there are a number of good contractors in my town. And a number of varying degrees of contractors, whether it's one guy and a helper, and there are a good number of the variety of sized contractors that I've talked about in the past. So for instance, a small contractor would be a contractor and a helper, and then he subs the rest of it out. And then a medium sized company would have maybe two or three teams. And that would be a supervisor and maybe a helper or two. And then again, subs everything out. And then there are some very large companies and they may have up to 10 different teams running at any given moment. 
And so surprisingly, for as small a town as we have, they all seem to thrive. But what is so important for me to get across to everyone is finding the right fit for you and your project. And so what do I mean by right fit? And I know you're probably taking notes going, okay, Renee said right fit. And I know you're thinking the scope and scale of your project, right? The size of it or the value of it that you think you're going to be spending. And that is part of it and an important part of it. You know, you don't want to hire the company that has 10 teams in order to renovate your bathroom. Let me just save you from yourself and tell you not to do that because you're going to pay so many levels of fees that would not be necessary to do that small of a project. And hopefully the contractor would not take on your project knowing that it just wasn't a good fit for his business model. But that being aside, And because it is important to figure out the right fit for your physical project, I mean the right fit for you, the homeowner, the client, the one that will be managing the project day after day. And the reason I bring this up is because I have been a part of too many teams where it was just the wrong fit. And I will be brutally honest, it is no fun. And if any of you have listened to me in the past, you know, I really enjoy what I do. And so for me to say that projects aren't fun, that's because it's a bad fit. And it's really something I don't say lightly. So what happens when things aren't fun? Well, a couple of things. One, they often are not smooth projects. And it's likely because no one wants to really be working with each other. I mean, if you've worked anywhere in the past, you've probably had an experience with a coworker who just sort of bugs you. Maybe they're obnoxious. Maybe they actually go against you in front of the boss. You all sorts of scenarios, but you just don't really like them. Well, this happens on job sites, of course. I mean, think about how many guys I come in contact with, and they all have their own personalities. They're all bringing all of that with them to work in the day, and I'm there during the day. So if we're not all getting along, and more importantly, if you, the client, aren't getting along with the contractors, and you're living in the house every single day, That can be very taxing, both emotionally and mentally, and quite frankly, financially. Because I was explaining this to a woman this past week. She is living in a construction site, basically. Her floors are ripped up. Her kitchen is ripped out. It's compounded by the fact she's working from home with all of that noise and the dust and the commotion. And she said, I'm just dying here, Renee. She goes, how do you do this every day? And I said, you know, to be fair, if I have a really long meeting, it might be four hours, but most meetings are anywhere between one and two. And then I leave and I'll be frank, I'm okay leaving because it's a mess. It's loud. There's smells, there's dust, there's dirt, there's debris, there's all sorts of stuff. And so I don't actually live in these projects, but I can assume what it would be like. And I've, of course, done projects to my own home. But I want to be clear that living in these projects while they're going on is in and of itself a really taxing situation. So getting the right team, getting the foundation as perfect as you can is really a key to the success of any project you're going to take on. And for instance, 
the reason I was talking to this woman is she called me for advice because things were going wrong. And actually, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what we discussed in a minute. So let's get back to finding the right contractor, right? So maybe some of you are listening, thinking, I don't know anyone in town. I don't know anyone to call. Okay, that is to be expected. You might never have done a project before. You might be new to your area. So what do you do? Well, if you're working, I would ask some coworkers just for some names. If you are in a neighborhood and you know a few of your neighbors, I would ask them or look around and see what trucks are sitting in the neighborhood. You can ask friends and family, you know, get a couple of names because in the perfect world, you should have about five different contractors' names to start your research process. Now, I know I'm hearing people already say, five, oh my God, Renee, I can barely come up with three. I live in a small town. And that's fair and understandable. So if that's the most you can come up with, then your number is three. But I really want you to locate at least three companies for you to start doing your research. And when I mean research, I mean calling them. You want to actually talk to them on the phone, find out the kind of work they do. If they have a website, get on your website. I can't tell you how many people cold call me and have never been to my website. And I think, well, shouldn't you have at least checked me out before calling me? I think it's I think it's great that you reached out, but in order to find out if we're a good fit, you know, go look at my website, see the work I've done, read all about my background, my experiences, you know, do some homework. I think it's really the least someone should be doing when they are about to invest this much money and time in a project. So, okay, so you've been able to scrape up let's say three to five names, and then you call them, you're going to want to ask them a lot of questions, not just their availability, not just their rate schedule or how they write their contracts up. Those are important, but those are the nuts and bolts. What you really want to get down to is how they run a project, because trust me, they run them differently. I mean, the guys I work with in Wilmington, different companies run projects differently. So for instance, on a big job, there might be a trailer on the site where the super's office is. Some of the other companies don't include a trailer on the site. So any impromptu meeting with a supervisor is going to have to be scheduled because they won't necessarily be on site if you're stopping by. Now, that's if you're doing a ground up construction and you're not living in the home. You know, some contractors, they stop by once a week. Some contractors stop by every day during certain phases of the project and then go to every week. Everybody does it in a different way. And so you're better off knowing in advance just how they propose they would do it. Now, they're, of course, going to need some information from you, a little bit of the scope of work, broad strokes on what you want to do. And they may or may not want to get into that level of discussion over the phone. And that's okay, too. Take notes of all of this, right? One guy might get into it, the next two don't, but the fourth and fifth guy do, right? These are all telling signs and important to make note of so that you can start getting some sort of comparison. And then go beyond that. You want to get references from these people. And I know everybody just rolled their eyes when I said that, knowing full well that a contractor isn't going to give you a bad reference to call, right? Of course, we all know that. 
But here's the thing. I can't tell you the number of times a client has told me midstream of a project about an issue they're having with the contractor. And I say, well, who did you talk to before? Which projects? And they said, you know what? I never followed up on any of the references. Well, you know, Renee, they're only going to tell me the good things that happened. Okay. Well, that is, yes, likely. But it's the job of the client to then ask more questions, right? You don't call a reference and say, how'd your project go? That's too broad. It's too easy for the reference to go, it was great. And to be honest, depending on the time lag between the time the job finished and your phone call, trust me, memories fade. And to them, the project may have been amazing. Right. But had you called closer to when the job actually finished, they may have had a different reaction. I tell clients it can take up to six months and that the edges of arguments and the edges of difficulties on a project start to fade. So if you're calling a year out, year and a half out, sure, they're likely to say it was great. And actually, that's okay. You want to hear that their projects were great, but then you want to ask leading questions. You want to ask specific questions that makes the reference think about it, right? You're going to ask them, what was the hardest thing you went through on the job? Wow, I bet no one's ever asked them that before. They might actually take the moment to think it through. Now, maybe the hardest thing for them is nothing to you. And you're sitting there writing that note down, the hardest thing for him was the fact that the contractor communicated too frequently and it just drove you crazy. Okay, well, that's something if you're very type A, you might find to be a gold star moment there, right? So ask questions they're not expecting. Ask them what the best thing about the project was. Ask them about which subcontractor they liked the most. Well, they might say something like, I really like the plumber. And that could easily lead them into saying much more so than the electrician. Okay, so they're still giving a good reference. They're still trying to do the right thing by the contractor that obviously did a nice job for them, but you're learning along the way. You also definitely want to ask how long their project was and when did it finish? And then, of course, you're going to want to ask the scope of work. Because to be honest, I have a feeling the contractors have three or four go-to former clients that they hand those names out to their potential clients as references. So you may get a reference from a ground-up construction and you're remodeling and putting an addition on, right? That's a very different type of job. And it's important for you to understand what perspective the reference has versus your project. It's still a good reference because you really want to know about the team, the people, their experience. But you have to keep in mind, okay, this guy started with earth. I am starting with a home from, say, the 1920s with all sorts of who knows what in the walls, and I'm putting an addition on. It's going to be apples to oranges as far as the physical work, but you still can get a decent reference. You can still get a feel for the team by talking to someone who had a different type of construction. Okay, so you've gotten your references, you've done your homework. Now you do want to go and meet with the contractor. Now in these larger companies, you're likely to meet with the owner of the company. And that's great. And that is protocol for them. They are going to want to meet you as well and vet you. So please hear me. They will vet you as well. 
just because you are the potential client doesn't mean that they will take your job on. And I am being honest, there are times where I won't take a project on after meeting with the homeowner for a variety of reasons. So just be aware that they are interviewing you as much as you are interviewing them. But if you are meeting with the owner, I would, if this is a large job, I would ask to meet with the supervisor they intend to put on your site. Because to be fair, the owner of the company might stop by your project periodically, but that is not who you are going to be connecting with and dealing with and managing every single day of your project. So you need to be open about that and tell them why. You don't want them to think you're just being obnoxious. You say, listen, I I really enjoyed meeting you. I would also like to meet whomever you're going to put on my project. Now be prepared. They may come back and say, at this point, I would expect it's going to be Bob. But Bob's on a project right now that may not end in time. And if it's not Bob, then you ask who it would be after that. Because there is some realities to projects not ending, especially these days, not ending when we anticipate them ending. So they're either left with pushing your job off until Bob's current job is completed or handing you over and your project over to, say, Steve, right? These are really important details that you want to know and you want to know in advance before you sign on the dotted line. So if you're interviewing a contractor and a helper, you're obviously going to meet with the person that you would be dealing with day in and day out. And a medium-sized company, it really does depend on how they're structured, but you also might be meeting directly with the supervisor, or you might be meeting with the owner and the supervisor at the same time. So keep this in mind, but you just want to meet the person that you will actually be dealing with. Because that's the person you want to make sure you gel with. And then this is where your gut feelings coming in. So if you have gotten to this point where you're actually meeting and talking to these contractors, I don't want you to meet with any more than, say, three, because otherwise it just takes so much of your time. So if you've narrowed it down to three really good candidates, this is where your gut feeling is going to come in. And women are really good at judging character. And do not ignore your gut feeling. I have had clients tell me time and again that they didn't go with the guy they liked because of fill in the blank. That ranges from the timing that the contractor wanted to start to the pricing even to all sorts of different reasons, but they regretted their decision regardless of the reasons that they felt were worth enough to pass on the guy. So I cannot tell you strongly enough, you must listen to your gut. If you're meeting with the guy who's going to be running your project and you've got a little flutter in your stomach, he's not your guy. I can't say that more clearly. If you're meeting with an interior designer and you something feels a little off, they're not your guy, right? As an interior designer, I wouldn't want the job if the client didn't think we were a good fit. It just doesn't bring a successful project to fruition. And that's all we want. So you must listen to your gut. And I am giving you that permission 
because I know this can be very intimidating, especially if you are doing these meetings on your own, or if you have a partner and they aren't going to be the ones running the project, they may not be as invested emotionally in picking the actual people as they are about the dollars and cents and the length of time the schedule will run, right? So your job, if you are the one managing it, is to really filter all of that other stuff out and make sure that you're getting a guy that you like and feel you can trust. Because starting with less than that will cause humongous headaches. The cost and length of a project should be equally as important as liking and trusting the team that's going to be working with you. I really cannot stress that enough. And then speaking of schedules, please do not hire a team because they're available. I have seen this happen. People say, oh my gosh, Renee, I feel so lucky. I got company X. They are the finest company in my town. They had an available slot and I took it. And I can't believe I got so lucky. And I listen to all of this and I smile and I nod and I go, okay, does that timing work for you? Oh, well, that doesn't matter, Renee. I just can't believe they would squeeze me in like this. I just, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so excited. I'll play catch up. Okay, I have been a part of teams where this happened and I wasn't aware of it before I was brought on because quite frankly, that's an enormous red flag for me. May have been a job I said no thank you to in a polite way and wished them well because taking a team on because they have an open slot for you really means nothing to you unless that magically matches up when you are ready for this project to start. So don't ever hire a team when it isn't the right time for you. People seem to think that they will never have an opening again in their schedule. I can promise you they will have time in their schedules at some point. The really critical component is finding the right time for you. Now, there may not be a perfect time, but I can guarantee you there are better times than others for you. And that is something that you need to develop on your own because that will be so personal to you, your family, if you have one, your work schedule, if you're working, your partner schedule, if you have one. I mean, the list goes on and on. And those are all components that must be aligned. Map it out and see what's best. I'll help clients do this. And we will map out their year. And lo and behold, there are better spots than others. And so those become the targets. And so when you are shopping around and interviewing contractors, have that in mind. So if your window is March to August and the contractor you are interviewing says his first available slot in his schedule is September, then you have choices. You move on to the next contractor that you are interviewing, which is why I say you at least have three, or you wait until you are ready for them. And knowing that it would be far more important to wait until the time is right for you than to take on a renovation project when you've already determined is not a good time for you for whatever reason. 
And so when I tell you it is an invasive experience, please listen to this woman who called me last week, who was at her wits end, and she felt over a barrel. Now, I will say with pandemic, nothing is ending as it was scheduled. And so her, quote, window had been extended. And so she was now back into this very, very busy work time for her where she's supposed to be traveling. And in lieu of travel, she's trying to give lectures on Zoom across the world in a house that is filled with noise and dust and commotion. And it is disastrous and she is losing her mind. So there are some caveats and obviously nobody can predict a pandemic nor control the length of a pandemic. But under normal circumstances, you must keep in mind that your schedule is important. And please do not feel honored if a contractor can fit you into his schedule. Working with a contractor is not a gift. You should not feel honored. You are building a team. You are on equal footing. You need to make sure it's right for both of you in order for it to be as smooth as possible. So the reason I brought up the woman that called me last week was because she was having some major issues with not only her contractor, but also her interior designer. And she just needed an independent professional opinion about what was going on. Now, with every team that you are going to build, communication and how it's best done is going to be an important step to get established early, and I mean very early in the project, it should actually be a conversation, not just sort of, oh, this is how it's been going. So for instance, she has been meeting with her interior designer periodically, quote unquote. So there was no structure to it. It wasn't, oh, we're meeting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. or what have you. The contractor, he was actually in the house. So anytime she came out of her office from one of these Zoom lectures she was giving, she was sort of having conversations on the side as needed and going about her day. But her interior designer was mostly texting with her as opposed to having any FaceTime meetings. And now that hadn't been pre-established. It just sort of was how things were working out. It was becoming clear to me that that was part of the problems that she was calling me for an opinion about. So in this project, she was rehabbing a kitchen and extending the kitchen island by a couple of inches. So apparently the contractor knew a marble fabricator and the interior designer, I gather, knew them somewhat, but didn't work with them regularly. She brought them in to look at the scope of work. She and the client went to the stone yard to pick out the slabs they needed. They were marked on hold for the project. And then a couple of weeks ago, the guy came back out to do the templating. The countertops were expected to be installed last Thursday, and on Wednesday, she got a frantic text in all caps, must speak to you immediately during the day. The client had no idea what was going on. She immediately called the interior designer, who said the countertops cannot be installed tomorrow because they don't have enough material. Okay, so luckily this was a phone call. And the lovely woman couldn't see my face nor the steam coming out of my ears hearing such nonsense because that should never have happened. I mean, truly never have happened. 
there is no way a company that is templating for countertops wouldn't know the day of templating how many square feet they would need. Now, this same fabricator had the slabs. This was not a third party. So it would be really simple to do some quick math to determine the number of slabs you have, the size of the slabs, and see if your numbers match up. Now, the templating was taken a few weeks prior to the installation. Of course, most fabrications run anywhere between two and four weeks. Now, don't be freaking out if someone has told you longer because it is pandemic. But this guy was going to keep to the two to four weeks. So what that tells me are a couple of things. One, the client did not have good communication with the interior designer. Getting a text in all caps during the day with no advance notice that there is an emergency is not a good form of communication. Secondly, for those designers listening to me, let me tell you where this interior designer went wrong. And I want to start by saying this pains me to be talking about an interior designer doing something so easily avoidable because I truly believe in my industry. But I also feel it's important for any designer listening to me to know where this designer went wrong. And then for the homeowners listening, this is your opportunity to be able to manage more effectively. So here's a couple of things. One, when the interior designer went out, met with the client, and discussed making the island a little bit longer, she should have measured the existing countertops and this slightly larger island. So she would have in her notes a darn close total square footage of the countertops. Two, when the interior designer brought the fabricator to the house to see the scope of work, she should have used that square footage in her conversation. Gee, Steve, we're replacing existing counters here, here, and we are adding four inches to the length of this island here. I get a total of 90 square feet. Let's compare our numbers in the end. Third, when the fabricator came out to digitally template the project, he would know to the hundredth of an inch the exact square footage he needed. So where did this go wrong? Well, I have to assume the interior designer never ran the square footage. That couldn't be easier. It's length times width, if anyone is asking. That's your square footage. And I would never expect an interior designer to get it within the hundredth of an inch, but you should get darn close. And if it's a funky shape, like a weird triangle, you get close. Or here's a pro tip, round up so that you're covered. Two, that interior designer clearly never followed up with the fabricator to confirm their numbers. Was she close? Three, the fabricator clearly waited to the day before to start fabricating the slabs. Now that is terrifying for a couple of reasons. One, it means they're that far behind that they are running that close to an installation to start their fabrication. And errors happen when people are rushing. Two, it lowers the opportunity for any form of quality control, right? If you are shoving something out the door to make that deadline, chances are you're not going to look it over as closely as you would if you've given yourself some breathing room. We all know these things. I am more likely to forget something in my house if I'm rushing out the door than if I'm calm and 
organized and have left myself enough time to get ready. So that interior designer completely failed the project. So here's where that client is. She needs another slab. She says it's $2,500 for the slab. And they said they think it will take an extra week, which I find kind of curious because they were able to fabricate the day before an install. So I'm not sure why they couldn't just fabricate the next day since the slabs were available. But here's the downside. My client had house guests coming in this weekend. So not having countertops, therefore not having a functioning kitchen on Thursday as planned, put her in a really bad situation. She said, yeah, we're going to have to go out to eat all of our meals because the kitchen is torn apart. There's no running water in the kitchen. So my advice to this woman was reel it in. There's enough work still to be done. I said, you need to have a face-to-face with this interior designer. You need to let her know that you're disappointed that this was mishandled at multiple points. Please hear me. There were multiple points where this could have been found and rectified long before the day before installation. Now, I did remind the client that obviously their numbers were wrong and she still would have needed this additional slab. But I also told her, please make the interior designer understand that by missing those steps and now needing the extra slab took away the client's control over the material selections. As it turns out, this wasn't the most expensive material she could have purchased, but that's not for the interior designer to decide. So for instance, this extra slab was an additional $2,500. Now in this situation, the client said that's okay, but another client might've said, no, that blows my budget. And at this point, she's over the barrel because she's already purchased the other slabs. I guess you could negotiate, switch products, things like that, but you can see how all of this lack of communication has created this chaotic situation where the client is making decisions in the 11th hour with very little details and thankfully reached out to me. So she has her list of questions. She is gonna reel this all in and make sure that all of the items are checked far in advance of when they need to be completed. And trust me, I understand we are in a crazy time right now. And I do feel for this interior designer who really, really dropped the ball on this, but that is her job. And this client did admit she hasn't been holding this interior designer accountable for other smaller little infractions along the way. So forms of communication, whether they are by phone, by text, in person, they are important. And maybe text works best for you, but then you need some accountability that is attached to texts. Maybe you print them out. Maybe you set up a routine in-person meeting and follow up with texts, whatever is going to work for you. This client had just random ways of communicating, and that's how things get lost in the shuffle. So now she will come out of this. She is going to get countertops, but these are the kind of hiccups that aren't necessary. She is left with such a bitter taste in her mouth. And to be honest, there's a second phase in this project that she just shelved. She said, I'm not moving forward with this team. It's just been too hard. 
And nobody wants that. And this client, she doesn't want to go back out and search for a new team. So take the time. Please learn from these lessons. Please heed my advice and take the time to find the team that's really, truly right for you. Not only in the amount that the project will cost, but the schedule and the people and the forms of communication that will work best for the team as well as for you. Because please hear me, you will be a team member. It needs to work for you. So we have gone over so many details in this episode because I felt it was really important to take a very deep dive into this important topic of hiring your team. And on my website, if you want even more information, I have put together a construction workbook. It's actually a checklist of all the things that you can be doing that I went over today, plus so many more levels of detail that are important for you to cover so that you know that the conversation has been had. And you will also have a record not only of going over with the contractor, but what the expectation is for the project. This is really important and something that you should be doing at the beginning of any project that you take on, whether it is just a small renovation or a ground up construction. The size of the project does not matter. You don't skip steps in the beginning because of the size of your project. Or you could find yourself in the same circumstances as this woman who called me looking for advice. So there are so many tools on my website, products you can purchase And if you want an even more expansive course, the Only Girl on the Job Site course covers it all from soup to nuts, an entire project step-by-step with me and other course members inside the private Facebook group, sharing our issues, sharing our concerns, and hopefully sharing all of our wins together as well. So there is a lot available that will help you build the team that you need to have, as well as support you along the way. And just like this woman reached out, I am always available for consultation calls. You can get access to a slot in my calendar through the website, and we can go over the specifics of your exact job, just like this woman did. So there's a lot of different resources because I want to make sure that there's something available for everyone's different needs. And as always, if this leaves you with more questions than answers, please feel free to email me. One of the best parts about doing this podcast is connecting with you one-on-one. It's just been amazing. I really have enjoyed this. But until then, keep doing your research. I want to hear about your research. I'd even be thrilled to get emails listing the kind of research you've been doing just to know that the word is out there and that you're understanding the importance of taking this first step before signing a contract. But until then, I can't thank you enough for your time today, and I look forward to our next conversation together. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to reach out to me. You can email me or direct message me through social media, and we can start a conversation about what it is you're going through right now. That will also help me come up with other ideas for future podcasts that I can share with everyone, as I assure you we're all in the same boat together. I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave me a review. If you would like to find out more about me and what I can do, please go to my website, 
www.devignedesign.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope to hear from you soon.